the first epistle of John. We John, as somebody calls it. And I want you to open your Bible and keep it open at these verses. The first epistle according to John just before the Revelation, before Jude and the Revelation. There were two reasons in particular that John wrote this first epistle for. First of all, it was to counteract a doctrine of heresy. It was called the doctrine of Gnosticism. There was prevailing amongst the church, the young afflicted church in these days, the view that they, they didn't believe in the incarnation of Christ, that God existed only in spirit, and that Jesus Christ was not a physical person, just a phantom Christ. And that view was articulated very strongly. And one of the reasons why John wrote this epistle, not only was it because of heresy, but it was because of hearsay. People were talking about things that they didn't know or didn't see. And John rebuts that in these first five verses that we're going to read this morning and preach from. And you'll notice as we go to read verse 1 that he goes straight to the truth. He doesn't commence with any small talk, uh, any buffoonery or joking as so many do today to fill in time. He goes straight to the fact and to the point of the eternality of Christ. He goes to the very truth of the doctrine where Jesus says, I am, I was, and I ever will be, past, present, and future. And so I want you to read these verses with me carefully uh, this morning as we preach the Word of God. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. He starts this verse just almost the same as he starts the first, the first verse and the second verse of his gospel, the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life was with, which was with the Father, and manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, 
and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we know that God will bless to us the public reading of his own precious word this morning. What must it not have been like to literally and physically hear and see and look upon and gaze upon, because those two words are different, to look upon and gaze upon the Son of God, Jehovah Yahweh manifested, the Creator manifested in the flesh. Imagine for three years being in the presence of deity, eternality, of royalty, of majesty. Not only was this the Apostle John's privilege and testimony, but he uses the plural there. He says, we have seen and heard and looked upon and handled the word of life. You and I never had the privilege that these apostles had. But one day we will. Glory to God, one day we're going to see him. One day we're going to be with him. One day we're going to handle him. And one day we're going to be like him. We'll sit down and behold him in all his glory. Now there were many times when, God, when the Lord spoke to John. Because that's the first thing he heard. He, he says, he says, which we have heard and which we have seen. Now, there are many times when, God, when the Lord Jesus spoke to the Apostle John. And he calls, this an, he calls this a manifestation because in verse 2, he says, he uses the word manifested or appeared. Is that not what we long for this morning? Do we not long for a manifestation and appearance of, of the Lord in so many ways? You know, that was the desire of the heart of those who gathered here into the hours of Saturday morning for a manifestation for the, for, for, for the Lord to come. And that was the prayer of our brother this morning, that the Lord would come, that the Lord would come amongst us and minister to us. There were scores of times that John heard his voice and he spoke to him. Even while he was on the cross, Jesus was on the cross. John, he, he spoke to John. Even in, in the resurrection, he spoke to John. Even in the ascension, he spoke to John. And there were many, many times John could surely say, whom, we, whom I have heard. Now you've often heard me saying here from this pulpit, that the law of first mention is very important. The first time we read of something in the Bible is very important. The first time that he spoke to John, and I want you to get this this morning, the first time he spoke to John is recorded in John's Gospel. Now listen to what I'm going to say to you to save us turning to the Scriptures. John and Andrew were with John the Baptist on the banks of the Jordan. At that time, both of them were disciples of John the Baptist. 
And Jesus passed by. And John the Baptist made that powerful statement twice. He preached it twice. Behold the Lamb of God. Don't ever be afraid, you preachers, to preach the same message twice, even in a short period of one another. And it says, as he said, Behold, as Jesus walked by, behold the Lamb of God. It says that John heard him, and he followed Jesus. And in verse 38 of that chapter, the Lord turned round to John, and here's what he said to him. The first time he spoke to him, he says, What seek ye? The first time that the Lord spoke to a man, he spoke to a man that was seeking. The first time that God spoke in the New Testament to a man uh, was, was he was speaking to those that were seeking. Adam, where art thou? The omniscient and the almighty Lord God of heaven knows the hearts of every man. And he knows the deep things of the heart. And he can look into the heart of a man or woman and know very well what's going on in their heart and in, and in their soul. He tests and he tries the motive. In other words, he said to John, what are you after? What are you following me for? What do you want? He drew him out by asking those words, knowing what was in his heart. Now, well he knew and well we know this morning that people follow the Lord for different reasons. We know that they have different motives for following after the Lord. Do you remember when, he, when the 5,000, he fed them with the barley loaves and the fishes, that they followed him and wanted to make him king. He had to go onto the mountain and he had to go onto the sea to get away from them. They were following him for the material things. And there are those today who follow the Lord just for materialistic things. And remember, very John and James's very mother one day came to the Lord and asked them, would they give this, would would he give the sons a place in the kingdom? They were after the she was after the political things. And then, of course, there are those there are those who follow the Lord for the physical, for the physical. Remember the lepers. There were ten lepers, and only one of them came back to thank the Lord. Oh, they all wanted a physical touch. They wanted healing. And there's so many today that want healing. They want the physical touch of the Lord, but they're not after the spirituality. They're not after God. They're not seeking Him for the spiritual thing of life. I hope you're not in that realm this morning. What do you want? Tell me, what are you seeking this morning? Be honest, why are you in this service this morning? Seekest thou great things for yourself? The Bible says, seek them not. What's really the motive of your heart in this gathering here this morning, and why are you really in the house of God? You remember the Word of God says, the Greeks seek after wisdom, and the Jews seek after a sign. But we preach Christ crucified. Are you after the living, crucified Christ this morning? Are you hungry in your soul for him this morning? Because this is why John was seeking him. You will see in a minute. Paul says that I may know him, know his presence, know his power, know his peace. Is that what you're after this morning? Is there a hunger in your heart and your soul for more of the Lord this morning? What are you following him for? 
And then the Lord spoke to John and he said this. Or John, John spoke to him and said this. Master, where dwellest thou? What a mighty statement. John said to him, where do you live? Where are you dwelling? Where abidest thou? That word abidest is the word fellowship. It is the word communion. We sing sometimes abiding, oh how wondrous sweet, abiding at the Saviour's feet. And the Lord answered him back. He says, come and see. And if you read that narrative in John chapter 1, you will know that it was late in the evening. And, and John and Andrew went to the, to the abode of the Saviour and they stayed all night. Now, I don't know what they learned and what they seen and what they heard, but I can tell you it must have been a powerful night to spend the night with the risen, to spend the night with the, with the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God. That was the first encounter that he had. And I say to you that's not saved this morning, it's late and it's dark and the evening is coming and you would need to seek the Lord with all your heart and seek him and you shall find him. Come because the storm is raging. And that's what we'll be on of these Wednesday nights. There's a sifting coming. If the Lord doesn't move very soon in revival blessing, there's going to be an awful scattering of God's people. There's going to be an awful scattering. My friend, you can come to the morning service and you can come to the odd meeting and you can come back and forward. But the time is coming when those who want to go through with God will have to take their stand. Because there's a sifting coming. And there's a scattering match coming. When only those who really mean business with God will go on and go through. God, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and, and he is looking for men in these days. So the first time John heard him, we're just at this first line in this first, chap, first verse yet, that, though, that thing he says, which, which, which we, we from the beginning, the eternal God, we have heard. He heard him when he was seeking. And you'll hear the Lord if you're seeking him with all your heart. Now, he heard him when he was seeking. Secondly, he heard him when he was working. Now, this is very important for those whom the Lord's dealing with about full-time service. He heard him while he was working. They left his presence that night or that morning, and they went back to their work. They were fishermen. And they went back to the Sea of Galilee, and they carried on with the work. Now, listen to Matthew 4. Jesus passed by the Sea of Galilee, and going hence, he saw two, two brothers, John, uh, James, uh, of Zebedee and John, in the ship with, with the father Zebedee, mending their nets. And here's what it says this. John and James were with the father. They were mending their nets. They were preparing to go out to fish again. They were getting all things ready. He was back at his work, doing his business, looking after the nets. And then we, say, we read this. He called them. He called them when they were working. He called them when they were busy. Now, how long after this we was from him, that first night, we don't know. There may have been, and there was, a time lapse. And I want to say to you young people, and God that's dealing with and speaking to some of you this morning about full-time service, you that are champing at the bit and itching in the ears to get out and to get something done for God, wait until the Lord calls you. Stay at your work. Stay at your books. 
Stay in the office. Stay on the farm. Stay wherever you are and do your work and do it well because God's not interested in lazy people. He's not interested in unhappy people. He's not interested in those who are loafing and those who are sponging and those who have nothing to do. You'll find in the Word of God that almost every time when God's called, uh, called men into something good or something great or some work, they were always at their work. They were always busy men, diligent and hard-working men that had to be wrenched away, wrenched away from the work. Moses. Moses was shepherding. He was looking after sheep that wasn't even his own. He was 40 years in the backside of the desert, and the Word of God tells us he was content to dwell. I tell you, I was very content in the job that I was in. Very content. He was content to dwell. And unless the Lord makes you discontent, you don't, you don't leave where you're going to. Then we read of Gideon in the worst hour of the history of Israel almost. Gideon was with his father and he was threshing the wheat in the winepress when the angel appeared to him. Remember Elisha. Elisha was ploughing with 12 yoke, of, they had 12 yoke of oxen. He must have had 12 servants, his father. And he was with one himself. Elisha was with the 12th yoke of oxen and he was ploughing in the field. You imagine a farmer today with 12 John Deary's out on a big farm of land uh, ploughing and working the field. This man was a very wealthy man, Elisha's father. And God called him away from the field and away from his family and away from his parents when he was busy. Remember Amos, he was a herdsman. He was out in the mountains looking after the cattle and he was as content as the flowers of me. Remember young Samuel. Young Samuel was lighting lamps and closing doors and opening doors in the temple as a young man when God spoke to him. And John is mending the nets. He's mending the nets. That's the mesh in the nets. Because if he doesn't mend the nation and the nets, the fish will get through. Now hear me this morning. The fish will get through. He was a good fisherman. I know something about nets. And I know something about uh, the nets that has to be washed. You say, oh, how would nets have to be washed? when they come? Well, they were washing their nets, they were mending their nets, and they were casting their nets. A, war, a net has to be clean before you can cast it. It gets old bits of debris and even the smell of fish. It all has to be washed. And here's a man mending the nets. Let me ask you something this morning very powerfully. Is there something to be meant in your life? Is there a mending to be done in your family, in your home, before you can go any further? Is there something needs to be fixed up? Maybe relationship. Maybe something in your life that is, is hindering the blessing. And let me tell you this, your nets have to be clean. And there's no use going out to fish with a net that is broken or a net that is dirty because you'll never catch fish. We need to be clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. The first time the Lord spoke to him was when he was seeking. The second time he spoke to him was when he was working. The third time he spoke to him, or one of the other times that he spoke to him, was when he was sinning. Did John, the 
apostle of love that lay on his bosom, did he sin? Yes, he did. And so do you. And you know what John wrote? He says, if on down this chapter, if we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. I could tell you a number of times that John sinned when the Lord spoke to him. He sinned in the Garden of, in the garden of Gethsemane. How did he sin in the Garden of Gethsemane where the Lord told Peter, James, and John, he says, you wait here and pray, and they went to sleep. And probably one of the greatest sins that a Christian can commit is, is given to us in Samuel. God forbid that I would sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. God forbid that I would sin. God forbid in the Garden of Gethsemane when he needed him most, he was sleeping and he wasn't praying. What a sin. No, don't you be running to the church here when your children go astray if you're not into the prayer meetings. Don't you be running and complaining if you sit in the car on Sunday morning and you can't come in to pray. Now the gloves are off this morning. It is a sin not to pray in the fellowship of the church and in the people of God. This is where the sifting is going to be. This is where the sifting is going to be. It is a sin. There were young people in here on Friday night to 20 past two on Saturday morning. I counted 20 young people, all I'm sure under 24, 25, 24 years of age, to 20 past two praying for God. Were you sleeping? Or what will you do? But as I tell you, the gloves are off as far as prayer is concerned and intercession is concerned and supplication is concerned. And the Lord spoke to him in no uncertain terms. He says, you couldn't wake with me for one hour. John. John. You were asleep. Then he spoke to him again when he was sinning. Do you remember he sent James and he sent James and John, the both of them, to go over to the Smarton village and prepare the way for him to come? And John and James went over to the Smarton village to prepare the way, and the Smartons mocked them and laughed at them, and they left and came back. And, and, and he came to the Lord and he says, Lord, they'll not receive us over there. Call fire down from heaven like Elijah and burn them up. Do you know that before he was saved, what Jesus called him, he was the son of Bernardes, the son of thunder? I wouldn't have liked to cross John before he was saved. The son of thunder. Lord, call fire down from heaven and burn them up while the old man was rising in them again. Oh, burn them up, he says. And the Lord looked at John and he rebuked him. He says, you're of another spirit. You're of another spirit. I trust that there's none of you here of another spirit. And I've heard, and many times I've heard Christian talking about Catholics being burnt up. God forgive you and God help you. That's all I can say. Another spirit. 
Let's go back to the text here. Not only did he hear him, he seen him with his eyes and he looked upon him and he gazed upon him and he scrutinized the Lamb of God. And there's nowhere John scrutinized him more than when he was on the cross. He gazed upon him on the cross. What an awesome sight that must have been. He saw him. He saw him who was altogether lovely, full of grace and full of, full of the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. He saw a man who was never defeated. He saw a man who was never discouraged. He saw a man that was never depressed. He saw a man that was never deceived. He saw him raising the dead. He saw him calming the storm. He saw him feeding the thousands. He saw him dying, whipped and scourged at Calvary's cross. He saw him. He saw him in life and he saw him in death. And he saw him in the resurrection. And he saw him in the ascension when in the revelation he fell at his feet as dead. No man has more authority to write. No man has more authority to rebuke the Gnostics and their lies and their deceit than this man John. He says, we have seen, we have heard the word of life. Hallelujah. And handled him. When did he handle? Well, in the Luke 24, in the upper room, when they were afraid of the Jews. You know, you know the Lord Jesus Christ not only can walk on the waves, but he can through the walls. He can through the walls into them where they were afraid on the resurrection day. He says, why are you troubled? Behold my hands and my feet. Touch me. He was no phantom. Thomas says, except I see the wounds in his hand and I put my finger into the wound. Well, Thomas, here they are. Oh, they handled them all right. They handled them okay. But not only have we the manifestation here, but there's a declaration. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and that which we have heard, we declare unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He's declaring, tell me this, ask yourself this question this morning. How could he do anything else? How could these apostles do anything else after seeing all this? How can we this morning that have heard and seen and handled by faith the Lord Jesus, how can we be silent this morning? How, how can we that have tasted and seen that the Lord is so good in our lives, this side of the cross, and yet be silent, and yet be quiet, and yet not want to talk to him, and yet won't want to praise him? How can it be? Do you believe that the eternal Son, the incarnate Christ, the one who was the past, the one who is the present, the one who is the future, the one who was, the one who is, the one who ever will be, in the beginning before anything began, he, God in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Friend, if we really believe that the incarnate Son is with us this morning, not only that, but he's in our hearts. 
You say he's in your heart. You tell me you ask the Lord into your heart. How could it be if he's in our hearts and in our life that we don't declare it to others, that we don't tell others, that we're not bubbling over like John. Right, John was right mad to get to the very point at the start. Nothing else. Christ, Christ, Christ is all he's after. Oh, would to God that we would get like that. John here, John is literally bursting at the seams to declare what the Lord is. To declare against the old powers of Rome that was persecuting them and Gnosticism, Rome without, and Gnosticism which was within, hammering at the church. There's only one place they can go. And it's in that verse that I read. That verse, there's only one place that they can go. And they need to go together. You have the word fellowship. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that truly our fellowship, our fellowship. Now listen, our fellowship You and I, as believers this morning, need to stick together in fellowship and in communion. But notice who the fellowship and the communion were. Notice how John, he says, verse 3, he says, the Son. Right? And in verse 5, look at verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him. Declare we, declare unto you that God is light and in him. Is no darkness of it at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. John was declaring him, himself, himself, when he by himself had purged our sins. Mary had nothing to do with the purging of his sins. We had nothing to do with the purging of our sins. When he had by himself purged our sins. And I'll tell you this, when he comes again, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. My eyes are on him. Good and all that's going on over in, in Kentucky, and I believe that it is very genuine. Good and all that's going on. My eyes are not on Kentucky this morning. Glory to God they're not. My eyes not on denominations this morning or organizations this morning or men this morning. My eyes are onto him. It's from him it'll have to come. It's from him that we, it's to him that we address this morning. It's him. The Lord Jesus Christ himself will come. So very quickly, John is declaring and he is proclaiming the living, genuine, tangible Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, my soul is filled. This message, you know, done more for me than any other message I hardly ever prepared when I got into the very heart of it. Because I was saved through this passage of Scripture. I was saved in verse 6. I was saved in verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us, continually cleanses us from all sin. And you know the Lord knew when, he was le- when I was being led to the Lord, he knew that I would need that verse. Because that verse, E.T. hates cleansing, is continual cleansing. He continually cleanses us every day from sin. And I'm enjoying it every day for 52 years. Hallelujah. Oh, I tell you, if only we could grip what the apostles getting over here. This is no old dead ministry, old cold ministry. 
This is ministry bubbling up in the heart of a man who has seen and heard and handled the very living Christ. That's what revival is going to be when it comes here. It's coming here, coming to Ireland. And that's what it's going to be. It'll be a manifestation of the living Christ in our midst. And oh, I'm longing for it. And oh, I'm hungry for it. And you young people, keep praying on. I got a text uh, next morning, Saturday morning. I got a text. When's the next one? That's the sort of people I want to hear. When's the next prayer meeting? When will we get in to get in touch with God? When can we get in to praise Him? That's where the sifting is going to be. We make all the excuses we like under the sun. But that's where the sifting is going to be because you'll be left behind. But it'll only be those, it'll only be those who are standing their ground because we're coming in. If revival doesn't come very soon to Ireland, we're going to face unprecedented attacks in the days that lie ahead. They're going to come morally. They'll come through the transgenderism. They'll come through the abortion. They're coming every way that they can. Everything that the devil can do, he's going to do, and he's raking up all the dirt under the sun, and he's attacking the believers. And so we need to be in fellowship. We need to stay together, and we need to stand against it. I read the word here the other night in, 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 in John, the last chapter in John, where, where Jesus said, let any man that touches or tampers or tinkers with the word of God and removes or puts or adds to it, the curses of this book and the plagues of this book will be upon him. There was a wee woman in Durham in England listening to it. And as soon as it was done preaching, and, and as far as I know, she heard what all, what the testimonies and she heard the preaching. As far as I know, she sent the whole thing bang to them. She got on the email to Lambeth Palace to the Archbishop of Canterbury and told them what I said. And immediately almost they responded back. And I never read such nonsense. I never read such trash. I never read such a corruption of the Word of God than I read in that email. And Ruth will tell you. I don't know how anybody can be in the Church of England or in their sister church, the Church of Ireland, with what's going on. Come out from them if you're supposed to be saved. But that's where the sifting's going to be. God help us, how long are we going to let this go on? How long are we going to keep our mouths shut and say nothing when the whole, the whole scripture's been attacked and everything about the deity and the love of our Savior? How long are we going to put up with it? I'm not putting up with it. I don't care that take me. I'm 77 years of age. I'll spend the last of me a couple of years in jail. All right, I'll be happy enough. Friend, this is serious. We cannot allow this to go on. Thank God for a wee woman in the north of England who took it on her to do this. We can't allow it to go on. Nor are we going to allow it to go on. And whether the people scatter from this church, and of course there's been a queer scattering from COVID, and there'll be a bigger scattering yet, it'll only be those who want to go on and go through with God. That will survive the sifting, the shaking, the rattling that's going to come. 
it'll only be those. But I'm finished now in a minute. John declaring and proclaiming that a real, living, genuine, tangible Christ is manifested in our midst. So there's a manifestation, there's a declaration. Ah, but listen, that's not the way we want to close this morning. There's a jubilation. There's a jubilation. Verse 4. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. That word full is overflowing. That's the word that's used in Psalm 23 when he anointed his head with oil and my cup runneth over. This is the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Do you know anything about this this morning? We just settle, settle for the next couple of minutes. Do you know anything about this joy this morning? This is the joy that Habakkuk could speak of in the worst hour, one of the worst hours of Israel's history. When all was taken from him and there was nothing seen to be going, he says, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Do you know what that word joy there? I will jump and spin round with joy. Hallelujah. There was some doing that the other night here. <coughs> Hallelujah. Joy, joy in my soul and in my heart. In the late 80s, 80s a fellow named Bobby McFern uh, put a song out and it hit the top of the charts. Don't worry, be happy. We're not talking about happiness this morning. Listen, believer, we're not talking about happenings. Happenings are things that happen. You can be feeling good when your child is born. You can feel good when you get a new job. You can feel good when you get a rise of pay. But you know, you could lose the pay and you could lose your job and you could lose the child. Happenings is just a roller coaster thing. It's not real joy. We're not, this is the joy that's in the Christian heart. Listen to what it is. It is a gift of the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and the second one is joy and peace. That's what we should have this morning. That's what should be in our life this morning. The kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Not happenings. Something can happen today and you will, you will be elated. Something could happen today and you might not be. But will the joy still be there? This joy doesn't ebb and flow with happiness. This joy is a well of the Holy Spirit deep down in our hearts that's there in every situation and every trial. It's there in the sickness. It's there when the cancer comes. It's there when the coronary comes. It's there when the Parkinson's come. A joy, joy in my soul and in my heart that we sing about. Do you know about it this morning? Are you running about fearful this morning, wondering what will happen to the child this week, or what will happen to the job, and what will happen to me? That's not joy. Way down deep in our heart is the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, and it's not emotional as a matter. Oh, we can get joyful and emotional and we can clap and we can sing and we can shout and all that, but it's just an outward thing. But have we that joy deep down in our heart when the singing's over and the course is over and the church is over and everything else is gone and the husband goes and the wife goes and the family breaks up? Is it there? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And at midnight, he and Silas prayed 
They were hammered, they were beaten, they were put into an old dark cell and they were chained away down. And at midnight, Paul and Silas sang and praised the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, friend, that's what joy is. That's what joy is. It says of Jesus, he was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And it also says of him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. What was set before him? The cross. He endured it. Now, you don't know what's going to happen tonight. And you don't know what's going to happen on Monday or Tuesday. You're just dealing with what you have, and it's plenty, isn't it? You don't want to know what's going to happen on Monday or Tuesday. You're just dealing with what you have. But he knew all things. Remember, he knew all things. Remember, he knew that they were going to strip him and mock him when he was stripped. You know, my friend, he knew that they're going to pierce those lovely hands to an old cross. He knew that they were going to thunder and hammer the crown of thorns down on his brow when he was naked. He knew all that. And yet there was a joy in his heart and in his soul. That's the joy of the Lord. I tell you, if you knew what was before you, I'm afraid that some of us wouldn't be too joyful. But he knew it all. Every bit of it. And here I want to close with this. Why should we rejoice this morning? Why should we, the people of God, leave this, not leave this church this morning rejoicing? First of all, we need to rejoice in our salvation. Are you saved this morning? Listen to Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon the rock and established my goings, and put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Hallelujah. Praise him this morning if you're saved and washed in the blood and on your way to heaven. Praise him this morning for sins forgiven. Praise him this morning for your salvation. We praise him in our salvation. And rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. And rejoice also this morning, secondly, in tribulation. Paul says, I am filled with comfort and exceeding joy in all our tribulations. So whatever's going on in the home and whatever's going on in the family, whatever's going on in the work this morning, listen, no matter how hard the things against you and how awful the demons and devils seem to be attacking you, listen, start to praise him. Lift your voice and praise because God, Lord, the Lord loves praise. Praise glorifieth the Lord. And I've often come into these prayer meetings at night, you know, over the last couple of years, and I've been heavy, and there's a lot of things going on in my mind and in my heart, and someone has called out a course, and someone has started to sing, and it has lifted just like that. I tell you, praise the Lord, and thank the Lord, and rejoice in your salvation, and in your tribulation, and lastly, in your glorification. Do you remember when they were casting out the demons? 
and they were all elated. And they were all come to the Lord and they said to the Lord, Oh, we are able to cast out the boy. I'd love to cast out the boy to require a job. I'd be a busy boy. Remember he said, Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We're heading to the glory. Glory to God, we're heading to the glory. The manifestation, he's amongst us, John says. I've seen him, I've heard him, I've handled him. He's here, he's here, he's with us. I'm going to declare it unto you. I tell you, I'm declaring it unto you that Jesus is alive. And he's alive forevermore. We have seen him, we have heard him, we have handled him, we have touched him. We saw him raising the dead. We saw him healing the lepers. We have saw him, we have handled him. I saw him on the cross. I saw him on the ascension. I saw him on the resurrection. I have saw him, hallelujah. I've seen him, heard him, handled him. How could he but love him? How could he be called anything but the apostle? Of love, and then when you come to the third chapter, he said, "What manner of love is this? Do you know what that word manner is? That's that's love from another world. That's what it means in the, in the Greek. It's love from another world, and it certainly was. What manner of love is this? That we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. Oh, friend, it's a mighty thing to be saved this morning." And don't you fail to praise and thank the Lord for your great and powerful salvation. Thank you.